HRGrapevine.com. It's the HR Grapevine Podcast. Hi there, everyone. Eric Niewerowski, host of the pod. Thank you for joining me this week. And in this episode, I want to talk about well-being through the lens of someone who is passionate about the subject. So passionate, in fact, that that is their role. So I'd like to share a recent interview I had with Nuz Shagan. She is the head of well-being strategy at Govox. So we are going to talk about well-being and this concept of positive disruptions within HR policies and the impacts on employees. And we're gonna do that by talking about the job title, Chief Wellbeing Officer, and its surge in popularity, the importance of having wellbeing as a topic within the boardroom, and around the landscapes of female colleague issues like fertility and menopause, how those landscapes are shifting. It was a very insightful, conversation with Nuz. It's really great to talk to someone who is so passionate about their topic. I got a lot out of it. I hope you did too. So without further ado, here is my chat with Nuz. First of all, thank you so much for having me uh, on here today. Uh, my name is Nuz Shagan, and I work as the head of wellbeing strategy for a company called Govox, which is a digital wellbeing platform um, that is at the core of it about saving lives. It's really about looking behind that brave face. And we are there to be that first point of call for organizations to identify to then connect and then support people. What's your like what's your background? How did you get into well-being as a I mean with with a role like yours and the company that you are, mm. it's not just a job, right? It's no. passion. So where did that passion for well-being and this proactive mentality mm. kind of come from? That's a really good question because I think that is my North Star in everything that drives me in all the work that I do in well-being. And I guess where it started is I came from a background in IKEA. I had a, a long and thriving career in IKEA, first of all, within marketing, as I worked as a marketing manager in in quite a few different locations. And as part of marketing, internal comms came into play. So a lot of the time I had not only the customer perspective, but also the coworker perspective. But added to that, I think it's my personal journey. And I think I always had this way of thinking that if we don't show vulnerability and are able to open up and be human, then how are we going to allow people to trust us to then be the best version of themselves? So I think that has always been my North Star in the way that I lead teams, the way that I work, and why I drive this topic around well-being. Because at the core of it, we're dealing with people. They're not robots. And with people comes this whole holistic approach. There's a strong interplay between you know, your home life and you as an individual. And I think that's my driver for it from personal experience. I'd love to know this job title, Chief Wellbeing Officer, 10 years ago, probably not a title. Now it's on the rise. Why is this happening? I think what you can see when you see this explosion of this title coming is that realization. I think at the core of it is that well-being is no longer a tick box exercise. It needs the authority and autonomy in order be, to be able to be pushed forward. And I think the experience that a lot of organizations have had is that they've tried to give this as an extra task to someone and it's not landed in the right way. 
And if you think of, you know, the pressure that's on at the moment, and I think rightly, as you said, you know, we've had the uh, pandemic, which has really accelerated the focus on this role. But there's also an external demand, employees, young people, talent are demanding this. I mean, according to, you know, a, a fact that we saw is millennials and Gen Z are changing this landscape 91% of graduates look at policies on mental health and well-being before they decide whether they want to be in a job or not. So I think for businesses, they've had to kind of take a step back because I guess as a result of the pandemic, but also in terms of when they're looking at all the different types of legislature, et cetera, that's coming through. And I can reference some of those. You know, you've, you've got the latest report from the World Health Organization um, the, the guidelines around, uh, you know, mental health and, and well-being within the workplace that landed today. You're looking at the 17 standard development goals from the United Nations. You're looking at the latest ISO 45003, which very clearly outlines roles and responsibilities, both for employee and employer. So I think there's all of this pressure coming through. I would also like to think that the reason why there has been this dedication to this role is that it respects it in, in its own entity. You know, we often talk growth, customer, and people. Yeah. So this is saying I'm making the commitment to people. So taking that big step, and I completely appreciate you, not, not all organizations have the budgets, et cetera, but by taking that step and actually having someone come in to position, what you are saying is we are putting the we into well-being. We are actually saying we're going to do this together. And this is important to us. You are important to us. And that really solidifying that messaging that without your people, you won't have them to treat your customers in the right way. And that in turn is growth. Yeah. So it's a win-win situation. But I think the pandemic as well has taught us what is important to, to people. Right. It's no longer just that I go to work and I get paid a salary. It's the fact that I need to have all these other elements that come into play. My self-actualization, I, I need to feel recognized. I need to feel part of something. So there's so many dynamics at work that this is not something that's stagnant. It's going to evolve. Yeah. And you need someone that's going to understand that. That's not attached to another part of the business that's going to focus on it because that's what it needs at, at this point in time. So it's got a lot of... Uh, you know, strategic aspects to it, but mm -hmm. also there is an investment, especially for the business in ensuring that if delivered properly, it will have an impact on the bottom line. So again, you have, you know, this title of well-being, right? It's huge. It's very important, but it seems like it's almost something that it should be within the C-suite as well. Mm -hmm. HR never really had a seat at the table. Uh, they're starting to now as the whole sort of remit kind of overnight had to rebrand itself. So how important is it to have this well-being topic within the C-suite? I think when I when I think in, in terms of that, it is quite vital because it's about strategy. It's about being really smart about things. And what happens if we have another pandemic, et cetera? So I think that is really driving this agenda in terms of this needs to be part of business strategy and the, the companies that are doing it well understand that this is not in isolation. It needs to be part of everything that we do. And we see the increased pressure, I think, even in terms of legislature. And I come back to that's driving a lot of this, you know, mm -hmm. companies that are out there to secure further investment, answering to shareholders. There's this 
all round terminology around environmental social governance. So everybody's after what are you doing for your people, the social impact, not just the governance and the environmental aspects. And again, thinking of interlinking that, it's about, you know, if your people are well, they'll treat the business well, but they'll also treat the environment well. And then if you come back to the, I guess, the staunch ones that you need to convert, like a CFO, well, then we talk profit and loss. And you are yeah. siphoning money from the PL, from the profit and loss. When you look at absence, sickness, when you look at presenteeism, we've got the new catchphrase of quiet quitting. Mm-hmm. You, there's this whole, we need talent to come in. We are an aging population. You know, we've got a much higher level of aging population versus fertility rates. So, in terms of that, this drive to get the talent is is what is really driving that it needs to come into C-suite. This individual needs to be there to tell you where the trends are coming. When's the next pandemic? When is the next crisis? What do we need to be gearing up so that our people are okay? Because we cannot afford to necessarily slow the whole entire business. And I think the, the mindset has changed. And I've definitely seen that within leaders. And whether it's beating them with a stick or dangling a carrot, it still comes back to that businesses need to go back to basics. And the basic is we've got a mental health act of 1974. Yeah. It's the general duty upon all employers to ensure. So as far as reasonably practical, that the health, the safety and the welfare of the employees at work, and this includes things that they do so that employees do not suffer with stress-related illnesses because of their work. So whether you want to take that as dangling a carrot or with a beating with a stick, mm-hmm. I think they've now understood more and more just how important this is. And I think it, it comes back to that explaining it from a qualitative perspective to a quantitative perspective. Yeah. It's, it's now we've seen both. The metrics are, are speaking the language of a CFO and then brand awareness or what a brand needs to be perceived to be doing is putting and adding that pressure. So there is no, not necessarily that, oh, well, perhaps we'll put this into C-suite. I think more and more it's that we need to be seated at the table. Yeah. And we've got a lot to thank. I think globally, a pandemic, you know, if you just go back to some of the, the movements we've had, the George Floyd, yeah. this, this demand for inclusion, for well-being, for welfare of people, is coming back. And I would say that's been part of why we're seeing more and more the demand is there. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we won't perform. You know, something like flexible working, for example, perhaps before even you and I would never have dreamed of taking that argument of, right. no, I can't. But actually now it's with the cost of living crisis, etc. It's now making that decision of either I'm going to stay with you or the great resignation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think these are the these are the factors that are, are really driving why it's it's coming to C suite, because it's that that seat at the table alongside the CFO. Because I don't think before when people looked at PLs, they looked at the detail as to where money was siphoning, like a little tap running through. Right. And now they're suddenly going, hold on a second, what is the cost of sickness absence? What happens when people decide? You know, they're not going to be present and productive within work. So that's really why it it, it really is there, um, yeah. I think, in terms of that. 
Yeah, uh, I love, you know, especially when you mentioned getting in front of the CEO, uh, CFO, right? So it's, I think it's like you, you get them in with some data, right? And for those CFOs, you could see like, oh, okay, we need to do something about this. But you use that data, and then you tell a story. So it's that quantitative data, and then with the qualitative. So that's great. Um, no, I could talk to you about well being for hours. <laughs> But I want to be mindful of your time. I want to change up the topic a little bit. I want to um, something that that you brought up called a positive disruption. I want to talk about this positive disruption when it comes to women within work. OK, we wrote an article on HRGrapevine.com and actually posted it last week uh, from Better Up survey results so that nine in 10 women think that there should be policies within the workplace when it comes to female health, female specific issues. Um, 59% said they've taken the time off due to the female issues. And this could be menopause, period pain, fertility struggles, pregnancy, but not maternity leave. And then of those who've taken time off, half said they were open to talking to their employer, which I think is great. But within that, a quarter said they didn't feel comfortable telling their employer. So I want to ask you about this within this realm of positive disruption. How is this landscape around women's issues like fertility, menopause, pregnancy, pregnancy pain? How is it changing? And where do you see the evolution of that going? I think I'm, I am encouraged and I, I understand and we, see, we are seeing stats like that. But I am encouraged because I think through male allyship and we are looking for those male role models that are speaking up as to why this is important. And again, coming back to that data element, I think even in different sectors, it's quite important for people to to look at their figures. You know, if you look within public sector, for example, you can have a very high percentage of women at a certain age within a workforce, you know, at least over 50 percent. And when you think in terms of that, what is the impact to productivity, you know, key roles, the impact on other employees when someone is off sick? And I think there's that push and drive. And it, it again comes from external is that more and more people are speaking up about it. What I have noticed from a lot of larger employees, uh, employers, is that you seeing policies being put in place. There's more open conversations. That is what is giving me a bit more of a positive feeling about it, is that it's going in the right direction. Now, you're not going to build Rome in a day, as we know, and we have right. to continue these conversations. But also at the same time, we have to not only think of it as just a woman's problem. Again, it impacts men, it impacts relationships, it impacts homes. Often, I think these topics are looked at isolation. It's a, a woman that's going to feel the impact, but actually fertility impacts men as well. Yeah. And we don't take into consideration the overall well-being impact even to a man around fertility. Even if it is something related to the woman, it still will impact men. Yeah. So again, calling up men to empower themselves and educate themselves to understanding how they can play a role and that it's not just a distant problem that they can't help to support. Where the support is, is around, again, education and guidance. It's understanding that I can still perform my job, but at times I will need some reasonable adjustments. It's right. the same as any other element you have from your mental health to, to anything else that you may be struggling with. It just makes you human. And these are the things that we can't come away from. It's part of human ev evolution. Yeah. Um, you know, it's part of survival. And it's not something that's going to be going away. And I think as you see, perhaps again, generationally, you see more and more 
even the millennials and the Gen Z speaking up about it because they are struggling with fertility and, and possibly looking at how they balance a career and having children and then mm-hmm. perhaps taking care of parents. Mm-hmm. And then you're having a generation of women who perhaps were not the ones to be speaking up, who are now going enough is enough. Yeah. And again, just looking at it externally, these other things that have ignited fires within women to say, stop, I'm not going to think of this as something that is not normal. This is nature. It's not something I've decided. So let's celebrate it and let's work with it. And those organizations that are working proactively with it, and there's some really good examples out there, the John Lewis's of the world, et cetera, that are actually putting in these policies and seeing just how much it has improved morale, how it's Mm -hmm. improved people wanting to work for an organization that thinks beyond just, oh, come in, do your work, walk out, and, and we're just churning over people, that is really, you know, at the heart of what they do is, is all about the human. And, yeah. and then, of course, you'll have more people buying from you as a big brand, won't you? And, yeah. and that's what it's all about. It's all a, a circular economy for me when I look at it is that's what you want. You want people to perceive you in a certain light. And I think at the moment, any leadership teams or anyone that's not going along with, with the motion is yeah. coming un, under scrutiny. So I yeah. think this positive disruption, and I, I use the word positive, is about us speaking up. It's about bringing forward our male allies to say, that behavior is you know, not okay. This is what we could be doing. But it's also not judging them for not knowing. You only know what you only know. They've grown right. up in a very male culture that says, you know, man up rather than speak up. So we've, we've yeah. also got to accept where men are and work with the messaging in order to empower them to feel comfortable, to be going, yes, you know, it's okay for me to say X, Y, and Z. And I stand by you know, empowering everyone to understand yeah. all these different things. The, I think the hardest thing is the misunderstanding of what it all means. Well, once again, just want to thank Nez Shagan, Head of Wellbeing Strategy at Govox. A lot of great points she made. One concept that I'm going to take away with me is this idea of quantifying well-being into data points. We're seeing ways to innovatively measure well-being. And I think as the world of work continues to evolve and this really abstract concept of well-being becomes a business mission rather than just an HR mission, I think we're going to see more interesting ways to capture this data. And I even think it will go as so far as well-being being part of KPIs for line managers. So those are my thoughts. Again, big thanks to Nuz. Huge thank you to all of you for listening. My name is Eric Niewerowski, and I will talk to you next week on the HR Grapevine podcast.